0: Hi, this is Parker and Jesse. Welcome to our podcast. So good to have you with us today. If you've already subscribed, thank you so much. We'd ask at the end of this podcast that you make sure go and subscribe and leave a comment and leave a rating for us. That helps a lot. But we're really excited about the podcast today. We're going to talk a little bit about some really hot button and exciting, sensitive, fun issues (laughs) that happened over the weekend. So, uh, today we're going to talk about... We're not
1: talking about the issues, we're talking well,
0: about like how to live with the issues. <laughs> how to live with the issues, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I guess we're going to talk about how to deal with what happened over the weekend, depending on what side of the political spectrum you're on. doesn't really matter. We're going to talk about something a little bit more than that. So, how do you think over the weekend, Jess people handled the whole inauguration and the marches and just all the political unrest that happened over the weekend?
1: Um, I think that people are really passionate about different causes and different things and have different reasons for being involved in things. And I think that, I mean, it really depends on if a person's a Christian or not, because... I would say, like, from my non-Christian friends, I probably saw more intense responses. Yeah. Um, A lot of Christian leaders kind of, like, didn't get involved because they don't want to, like, lose people. (laughs) And then a lot of, I would say, like, members of the church or church is in general, um, had a lot of, like, varying viewpoints. And I think some people handled it well. And some maybe, like, not so much.
0: Well, why do you think, like, why do you think pastors or church leaders in general tend to abstain from the conversation, I guess you could say, when it comes to politics, especially as heated as it was over the weekend?
1: Um, I think for a few reasons. Um, I think within our churches, we have a lot of varying viewpoints based on um, the context in which we were raised and um, our own experiences, and so... Especially with this election, there's a lot of um, morality being brought into the subject. And so I feel like, first of all, a lot of maybe pastors have not really decided yet what they even think about things regarding the topic. Um, And so they don't want to get into the conversation yet without having um, a conviction on a certain area. Right. Um, And then I think also, um, I think for... Maybe, like, for I don't know how to say this, but like, they feel like they, but the way that they need to pastor, hi, David, <laughs> the way that they need to pastor their community is by giving everyone a voice, right? Which I don't necessarily see in scripture, um, but I think that that's something that we've believed in modern day Christianity is that. Everyone in the church has a right to their opinion and voices, and there's no black or white truth.
0: I think everyone has kind of a right to their opinion and a freedom of speech, but maybe not... I mean, the resulting consequences are what they are. And I think a lot of people miss that point, that like what they believe actually produces consequences and fruit, I guess, in their life.
1: Oh, totally. Well, and I think, too, for... I mean, I think for a lot of church leaders... They're not willing to risk losing members that possibly, um, think things that are, that are wrong and anti-biblical.
0: Give me an example.
1: Oh man. Well, (laughs) I I mean, like right now there's like a a lot of debate within the church about views on homosexuality or abortion. Um, and these are all things that were brought up like in the women's March, um, so I, I know some of the vision and values of the Women's March clearly stated um, rights for transsexuals. Do
0: you remember where you found that?
1: On their website, on the Women's uh, March website. Women's March
0: website, okay. Yeah.
1: Um, and also reproductive rights um, regarding the, the right to have an abortion. And so I think that um, most— At that point,
0: it's already kind of reproduced,
1: Right. You know I mean? well, that's like I feel like that's like a whole nother, yeah, that's a whole whole nother podcast. Yeah. But I just think that um, a lot of churches are afraid to say like this is biblically what we what we believe in and draw a line in the sand and it's kind of more of like a we accept everyone because like Jesus does and like that's sorta of true, but if you look at scripture like Jesus says Like, I love everyone. And while you're still sinners, Christ died for you is what it says in Romans. But because of that, you're required to repent, which means you turn from your ways, be baptized, and live a brand new life.
0: Yeah, Jesus isn't an excuse for tolerating
1: sin in your own life. No, and I think what was the hardest part of the whole thing was, um, I I asked several people, just because I honestly wanted to understand it. I asked several people, like, well, why are you doing XYZ? Why are you marching? Why are you posting this thing? Why are you posting that thing? On all sides of the spectrum, whether they were for or against different things. And I think what was really, like, challenging to see was that um, a lot of people were doing it on behalf of someone else and not because of their own personal experiences or convictions. Right. And so... I think that's a dangerous reason to do something. Why is that? Um, because I think a lot of it is speculation. So, for example, I know a lot of women were marching on behalf of other women. And, like, a lot of people said, like, Jesus says to love thy neighbor. So that's why I'm marching. But I just don't know if Jesus, when he said, like, love thy neighbor, if that's what he meant. And... uh, I would say, if if you personally have experienced some kind of injustice, and you feel like marching is a way to correct that injustice, then then go on ahead and do it. But I I just I I kept asking people like, well, what inequality are you experiencing? And all the answers sort of came up short.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, what I'd say to those people is like, where. Like, where's your money going and where's your time going other parts of the parts of the year? So right. uh, a march is awesome, and I think people have the freedom to, to do that. But there's another 364 days of the year where you can help people, where you can right. find women either in sex trafficking or the sex industry or, uh, you know, find people that are kind of kicked to the curb on the side that you can just be kind to on a daily basis. Right. Um, and... You know, I don't see a ton of that in in this generation necessarily. So,
1: yeah, I mean, well, here's here's the contradiction. So a lot of the statements that are made yeah, in a, a political situation like this are very self-focused. So there's stuff like I have the right to do X, Y, and Z with my body, and I have the right for this, and I women like deserve these rights, right? Now, a lot of the women that I know that are actually making an impact in society, they're the opposite of that. They're very selfless. So for example, like our friend, like Josie, she's an American citizen and she has sacrificed several of her rights as an American citizen to live in the Philippines and has legally adopted over 36 girls that were... Of almost in sex trafficking. Some of them were in sex trafficking or in slums or rejected or abused. And there's millions of like terrible stories of things that have happened to these girls. And a woman like Josie has every right to march. But because her objective is real change, she she gives up her rights as a citizen to serve and love people to make a difference.
0: Right. So within the church, like I, I feel like we give up our rights when we decide to follow Jesus and submit ourselves to what he believes so like what like like the biblical definition of love is when Jesus says lay down your life for your friends this is this is what love is it's laying your life down so it's a completely and totally selfless act so the pinnacle of love is What he did was literally die for someone else. So, we
1: for everyone,
0: for everyone, for for his 12 and for the 144, and then for everyone. And I think we miss that point sometimes and make love into something it's not necessarily. Love doesn't necessarily mean agreement, but you might die for somebody in your church or in your church body who doesn't agree with you. So, what are you dying to on a continual basis? in order to maintain that relationship and maintain unity in, in the body of, of Christ. I feel like, you know, sometimes that has to be our political viewpoint. And I, Jesus is so much higher <laughs> than the political viewpoint, the political squabbles that we continually have. And the fact that I've seen so many Christians post about both sides of the aisle like they're deities drives me absolutely up the wall. I just don't understand how you can read the Bible and come out the other end thinking either side is going to okay. save save us or insert some kind of legislation that actually fixes everything. Because it's a human government. It's, it's by definition, it's broken from a biblical perspective.
1: Right. Well, and I think, I know for myself, like, I, at first when I saw, like, a lot of the posts and stuff, I, I did feel, like, judgmental um, of people like saying certain things or doing certain things just because like, it just, it like, I don't know. It just seemed weird to me and my own personal beliefs. Right. But then after praying and reading scripture and stuff, one of the biggest things was at like four o'clock in the morning, God spoke to me and he said, Jesse, I think where you feel upset is that it's not that people were marching, but it was what they were marching for. and." Um, I I heard God say like if Christians are at the march for example then Jesus is there. Like we're we're filled with the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And so I guess my question is is like if you're a follower of Jesus and you are ta- are you are involved with these political situations and these political things like, are you praying for these people that are hurting? Are you preaching the gospel? Are people getting saved because you're marching alongside them? Because hmm. um, if not, if as a Christian, you're just reaffirming um, maybe a political standpoint and not bringing the kingdom, then then I, I don't know if that's actually what we're supposed to be doing.
0: Am I just... At at, at best, maybe pointless.
1: I mean, yeah. I think... And it's so difficult because there's so much...
0: There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot lot of emotion and
1: justifications behind things. (laughs) But, like, I think... I mean, here's what's weird is, for non-Christian women, I totally get why they're marching. And I support it. Because, like, what else do they have? Like, where else can they turn? Like, their hope is in the world and in politics and in society, giving them their value and making them equal. But so, like, my non-Christian friends that are marching were involved in politics, like, very heavily. Like, I actually support them because I understand what it feels like to have no other hope besides the world around us. But for Christian women, I feel like we should know better... (laughs) honestly though
0: what do you mean by like no better
1: i mean what's that verse it's like some trust in horses others in chariots but the
0: battle is the lord's but the
1: battle is the lord's and uh i just see so do many you think
0: that means do nothing though
1: no i think it means do something but it's do what jesus would do right so like preach like like, oh my gosh, like the kingdom of heaven is here. Yeah. Like, if you don't feel like you're an equal, I can't believe you've been lied to. Jesus is the great, like, like equalizer for women. Like, let me tell you about all the times that Jesus gave value and worth to women. Right. In a religious time when women had no rights. Like, we talk about not having rights, like read the you're scripture. You're basically trash, Yeah. Yeah, they're not even counted in the Bible as right. numbers of a crowd. Right. Like, and Jesus always, Jesus used women to to proclaim the resurrection.
0: Yeah, they were the first ones.
1: First ones. And it, oh, time and time again, you see Jesus putting worth on women, saying, like, see what this woman is doing? That's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I think we should not be just sitting around silent, like, at home watching netflix all day like there are people that are suffering in this world absolutely so the way we love our neighbor is to provide them with eternal life and introduce them to the person that will make them equal yeah
0: that's really good that's really good he levels the playing field are you passionate about that
1: i just like became passionate about it because like
0: people once you have jesus i feel like there's there's no more excuses for victimization, I guess you could say, for being a victim. And I, I think people have been brokenhearted by particular circumstances and situations and have been shattered by things, truly shattered by circumstances I, in their I, life. I
1: personally have like 30 testimonies of those very things I'm right. talking
0: about. Right. So how did Jesus change that in your life? Like, what's the difference between pre, I mean, J- Jesus, like really getting to know him, Jesse, and And Jesse, right after she got to know Jesus or through the process of getting to know him, what's the difference between the two
1: i mean jesse pre jesus was i mean everything was about like the here and now, and my own personal like i don't know like it, it, you just dealt with it i I can't explain it like there was no hope, right. so um. Because you've
0: been a victim of some stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was raped in high school. My boyfriend in college slept with my best friend. I, like, have had an abortion, and, I like, I I can keep going. Like, I had a terminal (laughs) illness. I was locked in a closet when I was a kid. Robbed
0: at gunpoint when you finally went on a mission strip. Robbed at
1: gunpoint on a mission strip, sexually assaulted by my babysitter when I was a child. Like... I Like, literally, I could keep going. But the thing is, is that through all of that, Jesus is still King of Kings and right. Lord of Lords. And I feel like because I've been forgiven for so much, it's my duty to show other people that they have access to that same forgiveness, that same worth, that same value. So how dare I march alongside other women and scream out and make posters of injustice when I know the king of justice. Right. Like, there is no injustice any longer. Like, the king of kings, like, is the lord of my life. Like, let me introduce you to him.
0: That's really good. <laughs> That's good. I, I mean, I, I watched what was happening over the weekend, including, like, the inauguration, including... Um, you know the the march the day afterwards and just everything that's been happening and my biggest concern was that we were using church platforms as political platforms and turning the gospel into something that's nece- not necessarily about Jesus but about how we grew up or how we see the world or the lens that we see it through and not necessarily a biblical Christ-centered perspective because uh, To be frank, it's been embarrassing watching how divided the church is on it and openly divided in front of the whole world. Like, why would they join us if we can't get our own house in order? Right. And every time someone tried to drag Jesus into some political argument, he completely avoided it and basically just said, no, there's not that side and this side. There's my side and no other.
1: Right.
0: Like when they ask him about the, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Basically, they're trying to get Jesus to start a war. Because if he says no, then he's in trouble with the Romans. But if he says no, he's in good with the zealots that are trying to throw the Romans out. And it's a political tug of war that's going on when they ask him this question. And when he grabs the coin and says, give to Caesar, he asks whose image is on it. And they say Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's. He's making a point about where God's image lies. Right. Right. And the point is, in all of this, in all the craziness is the kingdom is a higher kingdom. Right. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a higher kingdom, and he's not surprised by anybody that's in the Oval Office, and he's not like, oh man, I didn't really see this one coming. You know, From the very beginning, he's, he's been the one in charge of everything. And I just think, I, I, I have a hard time reconciling the arguments that I've seen with what I read in the Bible and how Jesus does that. The point is, the image of God lies in people and people are the important thing so if you march this weekend and people were important to you not some ethereal metaphorical cause that was cool to put on your facebook or instagram and not a dollar is going towards a women's liberation movement anywhere or saving sex trafficked girls or you haven't laid hands on a girl that's broken or been raped or hurt or like is post-abortion and prayed for her for healing then what are you what are you doing i mean cool picture dude Like that's rad, but like, but go out there and grab somebody by the hand and show them how to walk with Jesus. That's the whole point. Right. And if your pocketbook's not there, if your heart's not there, then yeah, you're going to post some pictures and then the day's going to be over. But Jesus was the original liberator of women. He restored Eve. He restored her to her equal standing with Adam. And I think people miss the point. When they're trying to politicize who Jesus is or turn it into some social gospel. Right. And that's the, that's the crazy part. It's like Jesus is so far above and away better than some political standpoint. We do the same thing the Jews did in his day by trying to put him on some throne that he's not sitting on. He has his own. We don't have to make one for him.
1: You know what I mean? It's actually interesting because BuzzFeed came out with an article uh, last night, I believe, um, January 21st. And uh, they interviewed um, 44 women to represent their stories about why they had abortions. Um, And they actually received, they said they opened up a forum to say for people to share their abortion stories And they received over 1,200 responses. Um, But from these 44 stories, there's different things. And I just, I read this, and I thought, how can we be pro these certain things and we see the death that's attached to it? So this one girl, like the first one that's on here, she says basically she had an abortion because her boyfriend threatened to push her down the stairs if she wouldn't have an abortion. And, um, and that's because abortion is available to have. And um, she said, I suffered for two years with depression that went untreated. It has been the most painful and traumatic experience of my life. But I want anyone that reads this to know I do not regret my choice. I did choose life. I chose my life. And I think that that just shows the confusion that's... Revolving around this subject is the girl says that she experienced the most painful and traumatic experience of her life, had depression, but yet she feels like she chose life. And I just think that this ties so much into our podcast last week of like, well, what does life look like? Yeah. Because, and I think sometimes by making a, a choice that you can rationalize, doesn't necessarily give you the fruit of choosing life.
0: And I think of people that are outside what Jesus has done for them, that don't know what he's done for them yet. I I think for them, there's a grace for them to choose and step into something brand new. And I think at the same time, if Christians are going to be pro-life, um, in not pro-choice, as the movements call themselves, then we need to be prepared and ready to actually adopt those kids. Right. On the other end of the of what they consider a problem.
1: Well, and statistically um, one in three women in every single church has had an abortion.
0: That's wild.
1: So this is not um, like a political issue. Like this is an issue. Of it's a the, very
0: personal issue. It's a very personal yeah.
1: issue and an issue of the heart. And so I do think if we are going to be pro-life, then we need to be pro-life for the mother as well. Yeah. And there does, there absolutely needs to be a safe place where women feel loved and accepted and can walk through the healing process if they did have an abortion. Right. Of course. I know for myself, for years I lived in shame, and I thought no one would ever marry me. Right. Because I did that, and I thought I would be banned from the church if they found out. So, I guess my question, though, is is how do we keep unity with our own personal convictions?
0: Right. So, I think there's a difference between a basic, like, base belief and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and a conviction, right? So, I think convictions should be based in the Word. And if they're not based in the Word, then there's something else. They might be a passion of your life or something, like, you're excited about. But... Not necessarily, like, a conviction. Like, my conviction is that I should make disciples and teach people how to live like Jesus lived. Right. A belief of mine is that government should be small. Those two things... Are
1: very different. Do
0: not go hand in hand, and you don't preach that a government should be small. And... I think the church should step in some of the vacuums that we've created over time to help poor people, to help those that are disenfranchised and have difficulty. So I think that the way we find unity is only under the banner of one name and what Jesus has done for us all. Because what Jesus has done equals the playing field, like we talked about before. levels the entire playing field because no matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done... um, Conservative, liberal, and everything in between, Jesus died for you. And that's an extremely humbling fact. And it should be a humbling fact. And the fact is, he rose again so we could live empowered to love everybody around us. And when, when someone asks Jesus in the Bible, they say, well, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what, that's what the, the whole crux of the law and the prophets is. So this lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? So he's basically looking for a way out of this law, right? He's asking Jesus, okay, so who am I supposed to love? Like, who's my neighbor? Are there any... He's looking for exceptions in the rule because he knows he doesn't love everybody well.
1: Right. Well, who does?
0: Yeah, but nobody does. But Jesus turns the whole question on its head, and I think a lot of people miss that. At the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, where, you know, the priest walks by, the Levite walks by, a man that's broken on the side of the road, and the Samaritan, the most hated of all, of anybody that that his crowd hates with like absolute vitriol. Like they really, really hate these people. Think about somebody you hate or have hated in the past or a group of people that you judge and hate. I don't care what side of the spectrum you're all you're on. If you're gay, it could be an evangelical Christian. If you're a Christian, it could be homosexuals or it could be this the, the pro-choice movement people. Whoever it is, whoever you hate, that's the person Jesus is bringing to the top of the list and saying he was a good neighbor. Because the question he asks of the story is, he's not saying, okay, that's who your neighbor is. He's saying, who was a good neighbor to the person that was broken on the side of the road? And the the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. So think about the people in your life that you can't bring yourself to say, like that could be a good person, and you'll figure out what Jesus wants in his church. Because if you're harboring hatred or frustration or anger towards people that are in the body of Christ because they hold a different political standpoint. You've missed the entire point of the gospel because Jesus would use that exact person in that story for you. You would be the person that walked by and that person that you hate would be the person that picked them up, that bandaged their wounds and took them into the hotel. And it could be somebody on either side of the political aisle. Some people think that one side or the other would hate the other side, but you're you're listening to propaganda that's telling you to hate one side or the other so they can fuel you with emotions that get you to vote or get you to do certain things or get you to give money. What Jesus does is he levels the playing field with everyone and says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's telling a story to tell us, this is how you become a good neighbor. Think of the person you hate the most, doing the best thing possible and be like that person. And that puts you through a, a whirlwind of emotions. Right. But it really, really works. If you think like, if I think about people that I hate, Or that I completely disagree with. And I think, well, that person is capable of a kindness maybe that I can't even imagine. And maybe I would be the person that walked by in that scenario. You know, who's the good neighbor? It's whoever does what Jesus asked them to do.
1: No matter what their religious or spiritual... No
0: matter what their political political affiliation is. I mean, basically the Jews were thinking this Samaritan is a bastard idol idol worshiper that's half Jew... And not all the way. It's like the the deepest form of racism you could possibly imagine. And Jesus is saying, the person you're racist against is the person that's capable of kindness. So, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that story, and you could talk about it forever. But I, I think it's really important that we think, what does a good neighbor actually look like?
1: Yeah, and, I agree with that. That's really good.
0: And that's the context of, I think, the entire gospel. And Jesus is the point. If you're looking for unity in the church, really and I'm kind of ranting here, but if you're really looking for it, there's only one name that can bring unity. There's only one person big enough to bring us all under their umbrella. You're never going to be completely satisfied with politicians. You're never going to be completely satisfied with human government or what people around you believe or think or how they act. There's always going to be frustrations for the rest of your life. But in order to have unity and show the world that we can be united as Jesus prayed for us, that we'd be united with each other as he's one with the Father, then we have to look at one thing. It's like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, (laughs) if you tune a thousand pianos to the same tuning fork, you don't have to think about unity because all right. those pianos are have the same key and have the same tune because there was one tuning fork that tuned them all. And I think we need to step into a season in the church where we show that no matter what the political climate is, we can be unified. I mean, Paul the Apostle was telling people, as they're getting persecuted, to honor the authorities above them. Under one of the worst Roman emperors of all time, people were getting boiled in oil, and he's telling them, honor honor your leaders. Like, do you know how brutally... Irritating, something like that would be when you're watching people you know get thrown in prison. Right. So it's, you know, but they're united together in that thought and in love with each other. And one of the things that the early church did really well was love people. And, you know, something like abortion was really normal in the Roman Empire. They would throw babies they didn't want, especially girls, in the trash, literally on garbage heaps to die of exposure. And the Christians would go and pick up babies from the trash... And take them and raise them for the rest of their lives. Wow. And that's how you see like a transformation in, in policy. In like society, you say, you want to yeah. stop abortion? Say, we'll take them. We'll take them all. We'll take all, I think it's something like 30 million now, people that have been aborted. Said, what if the church stepped up and said, we'll take our trillions of dollars of tithes and offerings that have come in over the last 30 years since Roe v. Wade and, and put that into widows and orphans? And say we'll adopt them as a church. We'll take them in. Some family will take care of them. Even if they bounce around houses within the church, that's fine. But but until that's that's a reality, like what right do we have to say don't do that, don't do this? Like Jesus is telling us how to be a good neighbor, so
1: That's really good. And that's
0: not to take away from someone's personal responsibility for doing that. I'm just saying the church should offer a better way, a kingdom way.
1: So how is Salt Church is doing that?
0: Well, in a couple of ways. So we, we really believe in making disciples. Um, so we invest in things that make disciples. And um, one thing locally that we're doing is we're working with a, a, a charity called Pen and & Napkin. And what they do is they take um, single moms out of transitional living centers and um, buy all their furnishings for their new house. So they basically help them set up their brand new life. So we're gonna start giving to them on a regular basis. We just sponsored a whole family. And then in the Philippines, um, we sponsor discipleship homes and rescue homes for girls that are in the slums, um, possibly getting sold into sex trafficking and rescuing another home where they're actually rescued straight out of sex trafficking in the bars. And that includes girls, that includes ladyboys, that includes all kinds um, of people that are brought into this house and they're being discipled and shown how to live like Jesus. So about 40%, um, moving up towards 50% of what we receive in tithes and offerings goes directly towards towards that for now. And eventually, um, since we've only been here for three weeks, we're setting some stuff up where we can get really hands-on with those those programs and those charities.
1: Well, that being said, I do think like with all of this passion, I think it's good to give people an opportunity to actually get their hands dirty and uh, put their money where their mouth is if this is something that they are passionate about. So some great, like, so pen and napkin is the one that right. organization we're working with locally that's helping um, helping these single moms. Consider the lilies in the Philippines. Um, you can help support girls there, be rescued, and then wipe every tear. Um, is another organization, and they help rescue girls that, straight out of the bars, yeah. and ladyboys. Well,
0: I was excited about what we were giving, and then Kenny told me what it costs to like pay for their... Because they're paying for their college, they're giving them an education. They send about $30,000 a month to the Philippines from their organization here in the United States to care for those girls, to feed them, and to put them through college. That's um, And they're growing very quickly, and he's well-known... Um, to the bars and the and in that yeah, they area all call very well.
1: Coach. Yeah,
0: so he's called Coach, and just an awesome, awesome organization. So
1: well, and I would say too. So like, if all of this political stuff this past weekend or the marches or whatever it may be um, caused any kind of reaction in you, thank God for that. Ask God, like, what are you on this earth to do? So. Like, I I wouldn't just say, like, get all involved on Facebook and Instagram and then just let that that passion die. Like, God has made you passionate and has filled you with a fire so that we could bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So maybe those organizations are not in alignment with what you're passionate about. But I would say find an organization that is like, if you're passionate about black lives matters, then like find someone to be a big brother or big sister to in a mentorship program, help these people eradicate poverty, um, spend your Saturdays mentoring the next generation. Um, there's, there's literally countless organizations and ways to get involved and actually help people. And so I, I, I think one of my biggest fears is our generation will be one of talk, but no action. And so I, my biggest encouragement to you is, is if whatever side of the policy or politics you lie on, just don't let it, let it remain with speech, but do be like Parker said, be the good neighbor, be like the good Samaritan and stop for the person on the street and and love them well, because that's what Jesus says to do.
0: So I guess the point for today is go out there, make something happen, actually be a good neighbor to someone, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. Jesus is the point. It's The point is a person, not a principle. So we just want to focus on Him and what He's doing in people's lives. And thank you so much for listening today. We're so glad to have you on this podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a rating and some comments on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. Have a good rest of your day. Bye.